Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. I, I said this to first service today. I don't think there's a better way we can end a series. I know lots of times we very much try to strategically plan a special song, but that song, that last song, first of all, I felt like I was in church. Like, I, not church, church, like church. I was in church. And so it was one of those deals where, uh, what a great song. But as we've been talking about over the last four weeks, we've been talking about these promises. That, that's really what it comes down to. Do you trust God in, in these promises? Like the 6,000 different ones that we find in scripture, do you believe that they're for you? Do you believe that you can claim those things? Last week, Man, I'm telling you, like we talked about the cancel culture, which is all around. I mean, it's on every, like if you don't like this team and you don't like, you, know, you say something bad about that, whatever it is, we're going to cancel you. And then we, what we ended up talking about was the greatest thing that ever happened was Jesus canceled us, right? He canceled our sin. He canceled what was going on deep down inside of us. He went to the cross. And so, man, you want a demonstration of what cancel culture should look like? Is that right there, that Jesus canceled our debt? The week before that, we talked about peace. And I'm going to tell you, I've woke up every morning for the last two or three weeks and there's been no peace in the world. Like every time you turn on the TV, there's something worse, the, the next situation. But in the midst of that, there's a promise of peace that if we search out God's peace, he'll find us. And week one, we talked about it. it was really, it was kind of the setting the stage of those six, like every one of those promises, everything that God spoke to us is for us. And, 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 and I'm going to contradict, contradict myself in a few minutes, but you'll understand why I want to get there. But the promises that are in the Bible are, are for every one of us. It doesn't make a difference how much money we make, where we come from. It doesn't make a difference Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. None, the promises of God are for all of us. Somebody needs to say amen to that. And this week we're talking about maybe, maybe one of the greatest ones out of all of them. And I'm going to do this uh, uh, a little different today. I, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament and I want to backfill everything first, okay? And we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 37. Um, and, and we're going to kind of, we're not going to read, but we're going to tell the story from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50. It's a period of about 20 years. And so but a lot of us have probably heard the story of Joseph, right? Not, not New Testament Joseph, not the one that was Jesus's father, right? But Old Testament Joseph, it was the one, and, and they did plays about him. There's movies about him, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And you'll understand in a minute why that's, why that's significant. But we're going to talk about the Old Testament Joseph. And it starts out like this. Joseph was his father's favorite kid. Now I understand exactly what he was going through. Anybody else? You, you are your parents or father. Yeah. Okay. So you get that, right? And so you have this Joseph guy and there was a lot of tension between, he had 11 brothers. There was lots of tension between them. And to the point where it escalated. And it was because that his dad would give him all these great gifts and he was giving, you know, making sure that he, like he had all the good stuff. And then one day they devised a plan. They, they were so frustrated at Joseph. And, and I would imagine there was a little arrogance there because y'all remember, uh, if you go back to uh, Genesis, that Joseph had a dream. And the dream was that his 11 brothers were gonna bow down to him. Now, here's the thing. I get that you had a dream. That may not be the one that you wanna tell to your brothers and sisters, right? Like, I, I think there's a little bit like, you wanna, it's gonna cause a little tension, and so he tells his brothers, he goes, hey, by the way, there's this, this dream I had, and, and this is really important, this dream, because all through Joseph's life, he, can't, he interprets these dreams, okay? So several different times we're going to see. But he goes to his brother and sister, you know, hey, you're, you're going to bow down to me. So they devise a plan, and this is the plan. The plan is, I don't know that they initially said that they were going to kill them, kill him or how it was going to work, 
but they left him in a ditch for dead and it made it look like an animal had killed him. They go back and tell their father what had happened. The father's upset because they're again, favorite, favorite child. And then, and then, and then what literally happened is this group of nomads came and they were, they were slave tra- traders and they, they bartered and bargained with the brothers about what they were going to do with Joseph. And they ended up selling Joseph to slavery. So slavery ends up, uh, uh, Joseph ends up in the house of Potiphar. It, it's really not important what his position was, but he was a high-ranking official in the Egyptian system of p- politics. And so he's in Potiphar's house. Well, right away, he does such a great job. Joseph is killing it, and Potiphar's like one of his servants, that Potiphar escalates him and keeps promoting him. And, prom- and he becomes literally the right-hand man of this guy. Now, Potiphar, now, he's, a, he's Jewish. This is Egyptian, all kinds of problems, but he gets to the highest place. Now, I want to say something real quick, because I don't think Potiphar was a great guy. The system was not that great. And I literally had a conversation with somebody um, between services, but I, based on a comment I made first service. Listen, a lot of us, like I, I get the opportunity. I have a great boss. Amen. I'm waiting for some of the staff to say amen. I have a great boss. Maybe you don't have a great boss. Maybe you don't have the greatest work environment. But in the midst of even a bad work environment, Joseph escalated to a place because of his his commitment to the Lord. And he said, you know, it was kind of like, do all work as unto the Lord. He understood all this stuff. And so maybe that's a whole nother teaching when we talk about work and how we should kind of relate to the people that are around us and our bosses and our and the people that are, you know, as we're going through life like that. But so he escalates to this high place. Well, in the midst of this, Potiphar's wife has got the hots for him. Every time she sees Joseph, it's like, mm, 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 mm. Right? I'm assuming they did that back then. Somebody had to start it, right? So let's just, we're going to say that it was Potiphar's wife. I'm, you guys like that. I'm just going to come over and talk to y'all because you're smiling at me. Now everybody over here is looking at me like I'm out of my mind, but you're smiling at me. So, so she makes a move. She, she makes a move on him. And he's like, no, 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 no. Well, well, he, she starts to get frustrated and she makes another move. And the second move, he denies her and she, she is furious to the point where somehow or another, when he's running out of the house trying to get away from this lady, this crazy lady, he catches his jacket on something and leaves a piece of fabric. And so she grabs the piece of fabric and she goes to her husband and says, look, he tried to rape me. He tried to do something. And so where he ends up back in jail. So as he's in jail now, he's sitting there, like you would never think that this would ever end well. But all of a sudden, somebody in the jail, the prison, has this dream and nobody can interpret it. So they go to Joseph and Joseph goes, here's the interpretation of the dream. That's really, really important. Because a few years later, um, Potiphar has this dream that nobody, all his witchcraft people, all the, all the people that he would, you know, his, his confidant, all the people he would go to, nobody can interpret this dream. And Joseph walks in there and Joseph goes, hey, I got some good news for you and I've got some bad news for you. Here's the good news. The next seven years are gonna be out of this world. Like, more crops than we've ever seen. The animals are going to be big. I mean, everything's going to be good. There's, you know, milk and honey, the grape bundles are going to be, you kind of, it's going to take two guys to carry it, all this stuff. And he was like, wow, yeah, Potter, like, yeah, I, that's good. And he goes, hold on a second. There's a bad part too. And here's the bad part. After that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And we better prepare for the seven years of famine. And so we're going to put pieces of this seven years of plenty into barns and we're going to make sure that we have them. Fast forward a few years. Remember I said, this is 22 years. All of a sudden the famine hits and it's getting toward the end of the famine. And Joseph now has had the opportunity. He is literally sitting in a place of prominence and position. 
He's sitting as a judge where he would actually hand out the food to the people that would need the food. So all of a sudden, Egyptians are coming through, Egyptians are coming through. Imagine this moment right here. All of a sudden, a couple of these guys come walking in and he goes, 22 years now. He goes, they're my brothers. Now, our first response would not have been, hmm. Our, our first response, I'm not gonna use the word throat punch. <laughs> but we would have done something in Jesus' name, right? Because here, here's the people that left, left him for dead. Here's the people that, that had nothing good planned for him. They literally were so mad that they, were, they, they gave him over to somebody else. And man, I don't know how Joseph did it, but Joseph's handing out, you know, here's, here's some grain, here's some, here's some barley, you know, go over there and get a goat. Like this is what we're gonna take care of you. And all of a sudden Joseph has this moment, like Joseph's like, I wanna know how the rest of my family's doing. He had a Benj Benjamin was his favorite brother. And he's like, how's, how, how's Ben? Like, and I imagine they're going like, how do you, how do you know about Benjamin? And then how, how's, your, how's your father doing? And I'm like, well, then a couple years later, they come back. And this is after the famine had stopped. And they come back and they're, they're in front of Joseph. And it's at that moment right there, he reveals. Now, could you imagine what's going through their mind now? Because the father's dead. And that honor that he was showing the family may have been just because he was honoring his father. And, and I, I can almost think that the brothers were going, you know something, when he finds out who we are, he's gonna kill us. He's gonna take us out. And justly so, we left him for dead. We left him in this position. Now, I don't know about anybody else, we're not gonna do a show of hands, but most of us in this room, if we were honest with ourselves, would have showed vengeance, would have showed retaliation instead of being a blessing. Now, listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 50, because it's one of the most powerful passages of scripture, and it really kind of backfills everything we're gonna talk about today. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says, you, you, my brothers, the guys that are supposed to, we grew up together, we played baseball together, we threw, you know, we threw a football together, we, we did all, you know, we, we ran all this stuff, you intended to harm me. As a matter of fact, you tried to kill me. As a matter of fact, you left me for dead. You, could you imagine this point in conversation? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What? What he's saying is maybe for the last 22 years and all the bad positions I was in, maybe, just maybe, God made those or allowed those to happen or put me in that position or turn those things around to make them good because he ultimately wanted his name to be made famous. Well, how about our lives? Can we say that? See, the promise of today is a promise that God does, in fact, what I just said. That God takes moments that don't feel right or aren't as good for us or maybe we think are horrible moments and somehow or another he turns them around and he makes them good. As a matter of fact, the, the, the promise today comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And I can see it. I can see it in some of your eyes. Even as I'm talking, you're going, I can't claim that promise. No, not everything's great in my life. Matter of fact, I'm, 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 I'm still grieving the loss of a loved one or you know, I found out that, that my wife was having an affair on me or this divorce has happened or this cancer or whatever this. And you're going, I can't claim that promise. There's, there's no way in the midst of all my stuff that I can even see God for a minute. I don't see God in, in any of this circumstance. And I'm gonna tell you something. In our lives, sometimes, sometimes, not sometimes, we'll see the story resolve itself, won't we? And we're able to understand why things happen. 
We, we, there's times in my life where I've gone, okay, now I can kind of, you know, connect the dots. I can connect that, that this, this, I'm right here right now because of that right there. And God intended as a good thing, but I had to go through the process. Sometimes we're re- even able to recognize the good stuff in it. Even in the middle of the bad stuff, some of us, you know, some of us are naturally inclined to do it, but others, you just go, wow, God was so good. He protected me. He protected me when, when I didn't deserve protection. Here's the sad truth, though. Sometimes we won't know why those things happened. Or, or maybe we won't be able to resolve them until years later. We, we look back and go, oh. And here's the sad truth. And this, this is something a lot of people don't want to hear. Sometimes we never know the reason. We never know the reason why our mom or dad died when we were young. Why, why my wife left me, why my, why my husband left me, why my kids did what they did, why I lost, we'll never know. Into the other side of him, we'll hear, well, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, come in. And, and maybe, just maybe, like some of us will be inclined to ask the question, guy, why? I, I would imagine at that point, we really, it doesn't make, it's a moot point at that point, but it's one of those, like, why, why did you allow that to happen? And see, there's some really misunderstandings about this Roman chapter eight that I feel like we've got to talk about. Because so many people, when they read this Romans chapter eight, the first thing they think is, that, th- th- does that mean that everything's gonna be fine? Does that, like everything's gonna be, oh, everything, you know, like I'm gonna have a lot of money. Like I said this years ago, and I, don't, I wouldn't say it now because I'm a different person than I was even when I used to say this. But I used to say this, if I would have read the fine print 30 something years ago, I don't know that I would have done it. Because I've lived out, some of you have lived out, James, the troubles of many kinds. Uh, we missed the whole kind of pure joy part, part though, didn't we? And it's one of those deals where, listen, I'm going to let you in on a huge secret. Just because you become a believer doesn't mean you're going to have a big bankroll. Your your account's not going to... Right? And just because you become a believer doesn't mean your health is not going to fail. Just because you become a believer doesn't mean that your marriage won't fail. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. As a matter of fact, if we understand that scripture, all it means is why we're going through it, that somehow or another God's going to work out something good. If we have that method, that's a promise. You know what else it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that he'll reverse the pain and the hardship of all the stuff that we did before knowing Jesus. There's still consequences. Somebody should say amen to that, but we won't. He's also not saying, and I'm thankful for this, that this is as good as it gets. There's a movie, and Jack Nicholson's in the movie, and that's the name of the title of the movie. It's called, Is This As Good As It Gets, or As Good As It Gets. He's psychotic, he's a writer. He's in a psychiatry office, and he's walking out of the psychiatry office, and he walks out into the waiting room, and there's like 20 people there that are all, I guess, dealing with the same things that he's dealing with. And this is what he says, in the exact words, he says, what if this is as good as it gets? And as a believer, I never have to worry about that. As a believer, this is, because the best is yet to come. John 10.10 is a promise for this side of eternity and the other side of eternity. We just always think it's the other. He came to give you life and give you life to the fullest. On this side of eternity, he wants to have a great life. And on the other side of eternity, we're going to have a blast. We got to understand the truth there. So he's not saying, is this as good as it gets? No. What he's saying is that even in the midst of struggles and problems and, and issues, that God can orchestrate those things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. How many, how many people love the good? We love the good, right? We have some good stuff in our life. How many people have had some, some bad stuff in their life? How about some ugly, just ugly stuff that we're glad that nobody else in the room knows about? We're, it's ugly. You know that God can still orchestrate those things and bring good out of them? 
That's the promise that he says. So what does, exactly does it mean? How, how do we put this all, the pieces of the puzzle of this, this promise today? Well, the very first thing that I think we've, we need to understand is we need to understand that this promise of Romans chapter eight doesn't apply to everyone. Now, some of you are gonna get really mad right now. My email is bobbysmith at journeycommunity.net. That is, my, that is my real email address. If you have a struggle with it, I would love to sit down and talk to you one day about it. Okay, we can sit down in my office. We can shut the door. We can have a cup of coffee together. But I'm telling you, I think there's a problem. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter eight. And we know that God causes everything to work together for, for the good of those who... Oh, so there's a contingency in this promise. It doesn't say that it applies to everybody. And I'm going to say something, and this is where you guys, I unfortunately have to do lots of funerals of people that I've never met before. And so I'll get a phone call several times a year. Hey, Joe, whatever, passed away. They don't have a pastor. They never went to church. Would you, would you mind coming and doing the funeral? And if you talk to any of our staff, what I do is I sit down with the family and I usually have several other staff members and I go, hey, it's really important that your family, some of your family shares in these family moments because I never met your dad. I never met your grandfather. I never, I never, and I, I would ask this every time, tell me about the faith story. And I can't tell you how many times people have walked up to me and said, they have no faith story. There's, they've never been to church before. They don't, they didn't. As a matter of fact, some of them were the exact opposite. They were, they were against church. They were against God. And now they want a pastor get up there and say all these really sweet things about them. And so I get up there all the time. And I generally, I, because you know what? Joe was maybe a good guy, but Joe didn't know Jesus. And this is where it's going to, just because you're a good guy, just because you're a good woman, doesn't mean you're getting to heaven. There's only one way. Please hear me on this. This is the gospel, that Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He was 100% man, he was 100% God. And that was the only way it could work. He died on the cross for us. It's accepting the fact that he was death. There was a death, there was a burial, and there was a resurrection. And then one day he's coming back for us and he's prepared a place called heaven for us. And when we accept that, that's how we get to heaven. That's why I can get up. And, 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 and I mean, I did it last week. Like when so-and-so, uh, you know, their, their heart stopped and their eyes shut on this side of eternity, they opened on the other side and their heart started beating on it because the confidence that we have in the promises of God. But that promise is not for everybody. But it could be for you. Like maybe you walked in this place today and you're going, maybe you're online right now. Maybe you're over in the atrium and you're going, oh man, that's the first time I've ever heard anything like this. See, I remember last week, I don't know if you guys were here last week, but last week I talked about my, my church culture that I grew up in. And the church culture that I grew up in, there was none of this Jesus talk. It was a, let's pray to Mary talk. There was this, let's do Apostle Creed talk. There was, let's go to the priest. Let's go behind closed doors and tell them all your sins. But we never had this Jesus talk stuff. And I told you last week, then I read the book of Romans where it says the old way, the old covenant is obsolete. It was a new way that Jesus, and the new way is that Jesus, actually what he said was, I didn't come to abolish the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. All the things that are back here, everything was leading to me. That the fact that you couldn't keep the 10 commandments was leading to me. It was leading that we needed a savior. And that's the truth. And so that's how we can, that's the only way we can claim that promise is when we know Jesus. It's not designed for people that don't know Jesus. And there's this real dangerous idea. And if we don't watch, and here's the deal. I remember making that thing happen in my life. I remember asking Christ to come and become my savior. And all of a sudden, some of those bad moments, those sour moments, all of a sudden, instantaneously started becoming different. 
I had a different perspective. Okay, so has anybody ever eaten Sour Patch Kids? Raise your hand real high. They're the nastiest candy in the whole world. They're so foul. They're funky. They're, man, no, 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 no. So I'm 50, so hold on a second. Sour Patch doesn't hold a candle to a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. There's not even, they're not even the same ball. Like, and if, if somebody said that there was a Heath Bar Crunch diet, I'm on it. Like, I'm on it tomorrow. Like, so, but here's the deal. Okay, just hold on a second. Let me, let me, let me just breathe with me, April, breathe. So Alan Runner, our executive pastor, is, I think, addicted to him. Like, I, I think he needs to go to CR. And I'm not minimizing CR. Everybody needs, right? So I'm 50-something years old, and I've never had a, um, a Sour Patch. And so he goes, just try a couple of them. So I put them in my mouth. The first thing that happened, and I'm not exaggerating, the first thing that happened is I thought somebody punched me in the jaw because my jaw hurt. And then all of a sudden, my eye, and, and my mouth is being turned. And then there's this funky film that's left in your mouth. Okay, now, now mind you, in about four hours, there's this sweetness that comes over you. But you gotta wait four hours for it. And there's, there's nothing worth waiting four hours for, right? So it's, it's one of those, but here's the deal. You're doing that, right? You're eating, you're eating that Sour Patch. And, and if you like them, if you're weird like that, you like that sourness, right? But I think most people are waiting for the sweetness to come. Do you know something? There's some sour times in your life with Jesus. There's some times that make your eyes and your jaw hurt and it doesn't make any sense. When death happens, Right? When, when you lose a loved one, when you go through it, whatever it is, you, you can insert whatever you want to insert because you know, you know that feeling. Your jaw hurts, your, your teeth hurt, your body hurts, everything hurts. But I, I've been on the other end of it too where there's a sweetness to knowing Jesus is still in control. That regardless of how bad that was way back here, that I know that there's a promise that he's going to work together all things Good for me because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. Let me give you the second thing because this is, this is really important too. The promise doesn't apply that everything that happens in your life is good. Did y'all catch that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it again and I want you to just kind of through different lenses real quick. Romans eight twenty eight says that we know that God causes everything to work together for good. It doesn't say that everything is good. It doesn't say that everything's good. It doesn't say that this situation over here is good or that situation. It's just he works those things that even in the bad situation, he works them out for good. And there's a, difference, there's a difference between saying everything that happens is good and saying that God can make good out of every, every situation. And there's a huge difference there. The second part of that statement is absolutely 100% true. And the first part is a lie that somehow or another. And, and see, here's the, I want everybody, oh gosh, God does not allow, God does not make the bad things happen to us. It's not in his parameters. It's not who he is. He's not the one that caused that situation. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, 9 says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. Some people think like he's just this God that's gonna do. He said, no, he's being patient with you for your sake. He doesn't want anyone. This is the God that has, it's like, it's not an Old Testament or New Testament God. This, do things happen? Yes, but God doesn't cause them to happen. 
Listen, he says, he said, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. It's not God's desire to destroy us. He wants to turn us. It's never, can I say something? It's never, ever God's will for us to sin. If I hear one more person, God allowed me to sin to get, no, he did not. That's against the character of God. He didn't allow your friend to sin. He didn't allow your husband to sin. They make your marriage stronger. He didn't allow that situation over there to happen for some you know, crazy reason. He doesn't allow that stuff to happen. Can, can I throw something else? It is not in God's will that children are being hurt in our world that we live in. It's not in God's will. It's, it's just not that, that, that people are being abused. It's not in God's will. You know what that is? That's, that's evilness of the world. That's the fallen man. It goes back to Adam and Eve because of that fall of sin. Here's a truth that everybody can hold on to. You can tell yourself this, you know, that God will take a situation, no matter how good or bad or, uh, it is, but he can make something good out of it. That's it. He can make something good out of it. That's the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is he took this horrific situation, this horrific problem, and he turned around and he made it good. How, how, many, people, how many people know Paul? You've read, we've read about Paul, right? Saul turns into Paul on, on the road to Emmaus. You know, he falls off the animal, goes and see Ananias at Straight Street. You know, he calls him brother, brother Paul. He changes his name. That's the moment when the conversion happens. He sees Jesus, all that kind of stuff. The, the, most of the, the gospels are written. Where, where were they written at? But when Paul writes, where is, he, where is he sitting when he writes? He's in prison. That doesn't sound real great. Like, hey, by the way, I'm in prison. And Lord, you're amazing. Just don't see that happening. I mean, you remember the, Saul, the story of Paul and Silas? They're in prison. They're getting ready to be executed and they're worshiping and people all over the prison are asking Christ to be their savior because of him. You know why? Because it was a horrible situation. That God did not put them in that prison cell. The Roman soldiers did. But God said, you know something? I'm gonna take this moment right here and I'm gonna make something really good out of it. And because of that, we have the New Testament. Because of that, a lot of the songs that we sing come from the scriptures that we read. That's God's design plan. That's how he does things. It was funny because I was reading an old tweet. It was right before they changed it. What's it called now? X? That doesn't even sound right. I'm going to have a talk with somebody. But there was an old tweet. And was, so congratulations, by the way. You are all survivors of COVID. Did you know that? We officially declared a couple weeks ago that we are all survivors. I don't know what that means, right? But good job. But this, this girl tweeted this and she said that, um, this is how she said, I'm gonna read it. She said, my overprotective mother just told me that this lockdown is God's way of telling me I go out too much. Sorry, everybody, this entire pandemic is my fault for not staying at home. <laughs> Can I throw out this here? God did not cause the pandemic. Uh, Jamie was her name. Jamie didn't cause the pandemic. An evil world caused the pandemic, not Jesus. God is not into the negative events that occur in our lives. As a matter of fact, it would go against his word, especially Romans 8, which is his promise, that he can take those negative things and turn it around and make it a good thing. One more, real quick. Your situation, whatever that situation, you insert whatever that is, may just be a part of you becoming more like Jesus. Maybe that's a perspective we need to see. That maybe this present trial, this present situation is actually doing something for us that's bigger, it's stronger, it's making us more like Jesus. 
Because that's what the, uh, verse 29 says, but 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. And so he chose them to become like his son. That this very situation, maybe just so we're more like Jesus. And just think about what Jesus went through. And, and here's the deal. I was thinking about this. Like when you become closer to Jesus, who wins? Well, you win, right? When you become more like Jesus, you win. When, when you become more, your family wins. When you become more like Jesus, everybody is around you. Your church wins. The community wins. Your, your employment place. It, everybody wins when you become closer to Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, he understands the end game, and that's why some of this stuff happens. Oh, okay. First service, I got somebody shouted out at me, told me I was weird. Anybody else besides me watch sporting events that have already taken place, like videos of them? Okay, so not, at first service, like, you're stupid. So, I, and I'm not talking about, like, I love watching the old masters. If you don't know what the masters is, do you live in Augusta? Um, it's, a, it's a little golf tournament they have on Washington Road once a year. It brings in lots of money into our city. Um, I like watching those. And I like watching, like, I'm, 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 I like the history of, like, the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup, I'm fascinated with the Ryder Cup. I like to see, if you don't know what the Ryder Cup is, it's where the Europeans play the Americans in golf, males, and we barely ever win. And so, but I like watching, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about football games that have happened already. I can't tell you how many times I've watched TCU get beat. 20, 25 times, maybe 30 times. Who, who'd we beat the year before that? Was that Al... Was it Abilama? 33-18? Was that the score of that? How do I know that? I've watched, I've watched that. South Carolina has nothing. Don't worry about you, brother. We're, we're, we're just praying for you. So, you know, I, so, I, so I, I watch him. And, and you know what I love? Because the second time I watch him, when somebody fumbles the ball, I don't go, oh my God, we're going to lose the game. No, we're, we're going to win this game. I know the ending. Right? Are y'all with me on this? How about if we took that into our life? How about, literally, it's like, we know who knows the ending. We, we know who's hold, holds the future. So why are we fretting back here if we know how the game ends? And at the end of the day, listen, I, I don't want to be, like, I, I don't want to be cliche and, you know, all, all, all Jesus stuff and all that. But at the end of the day, even death, it's not a bad gig. I'm not ready to go there. If I eat another Sour Patch, I may end up there. But it's one of like, but, you, but see, can you, can you all hear me on this? God is in the business of taking bad things and turning them into good things. It's who he is. Moses is in captivity. That looks like a bad situation, doesn't it? They're sitting in front of a Red Sea, y'all. That's a bad thing. And then all of a sudden it opens up. They get on the other side and then they see the Egyptians in the middle. That's a bad thing. And then God tells them to lift up his staff and the water comes over top. That's a good thing. Y'all remember Daniel in the lion's den? He's got lion. That's a bad thing, y'all. Remember what happened to them lions? He took care of business, didn't he? he you want some of this? How about the three Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the fiery furnace. That looked like a bad thing, didn't it? And God turned around and 
made it a good thing. Have we forgotten the story about David? That Goliath is killing all these people? And little David, 13, 14 years old, walks up there and calls the giant out. Who are you, you uncircumcised? That's all, that's all he had to say right there. He was questioning the boy's manhood. All right. Looked like a bad thing standing in front of that giant. And then he takes a couple stones. It's a good thing. How about the cross, y'all? I mean, an innocent man being drugged through the streets. Think about it for a second. He's thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. It looks like a bad thing. He goes in front of the, the judges and his sentence is death for claiming that he was God. It looks like a bad thing. Being drugged through the streets, carrying a cross now, and they get him to the place called Golgotha and they start pounding the nails in. Well, that's, that doesn't look like a good thing to me. They pick the cross up and they put him between two thieves. Now he's gasping for breath. Every breath getting harder. He lifts himself up to try to get a breath. He's so weak he collapses in his lungs. It looks like a bad thing, doesn't it? He shouts out, Eloi, Eloi, Ramasabachnia, which means my dad. Literally means this. Dad, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Looks like a bad thing. Just before he breathes his last breath, probably the three most powerful words ever been spoken by a human being. It is finished. But it looks like a bad thing. And they put him in a cave. The soldiers come by the first day and the cave is just the way it was. Looks like a bad thing. The second day they walk by, hasn't moved. Now they're mocking the followers of Jesus. They're scattered all over the region now. The cause of Christ looks like it's gonna be stopped. It looks like a bad thing. But could you imagine walking past that and all of a sudden, the tomb is rolled away. All of a sudden, there's light and there's no Jesus. Could you imagine being the disciples, putting their hands, what looked like a bad thing now is a good thing. See, he is still in the business. And because of the death, burial, and the resurrection, the things in our lives that are bad, we can wait for God to do all things and he works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called to go. It may look like a bad thing today, but I'm telling you, God is still in the business of taking bad things and turning them into good things. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up with me for a second. We're gonna be led in another song. But before we do that, because this song will remind us of who Jesus is and what he did. You have the elements in your hand. I want you to pull them, those out. I wanna pray over those. But I want us to maintain an attitude of worship during this time. That just don't take the elements and then kind of check out on us. This song is going to lead us to a place where understanding who Jesus is and what he did. So Father, right now I lift up this wafer that reminds me of your broken body. What looked like a bad thing 
But the book of Isaiah says that because of your stripes, your broken body, I could be made whole. That's a good thing. Thank you in Jesus' name. And the cup, God, that was poured, the innocent blood, the lamb of God who take away the sin of the world, that blood that was shed looked like it was gonna be for nothing. But then when you rose from the grave, you went and conquered death, hell, and the grave, and you washed away all my sins. It started out as a, a really bad thing, but God, you made it a really good thing. So we thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.